Holy God, we we worship you. We come knowing and believing and affirming that it is your word, your word that we will open. It is your word that will change us, renew our minds and transform our lives. It is your word that by faith we will believe. It is your word that we reverence as your word. We pray, Father, that your word would have its way in our hearts and our minds and that we would be different because of this time that you've given us to open your word and to consider who you are, who Christ is, and who we are beneath him. We pray your spirit would move and that your word would be useful in our lives for the sake of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. There is a book out there that many of you have heard about called The Case for Christian Nationalism and uh, by a man named Stephen Wolf and an interview with Doug Wilson <clears throat> talking about the book. Um, Stephen Wolf says he uses this title Christian Nationalism because he loves his nation and he's a Christian. And that a Christian nation ought to act for its own good. And when he talks about the that he loves his nation, he's a Christian, and how it goes together, you know, Doug Wilson talks about how chocolate and peanut butter go together. I think that uh, this this concept, um, first of all, it's hard to define these words, but this this concept of Christian nationalism is filled with many nebulous terms and definitions and difficult to even understand all of them. I think that uh, in this book, by, by Stephen Wolfe's own admission, it's not heavy on Scripture. I think in the first hundred pages um, in the footnotes, there's one direct reference to a scriptural passage. So it's not heavy with Scripture. It's heavy with I don't know, a theology that um, says that it's based in Scripture, but doesn't use much Scripture for its justification. I, I realize that this is, this, is, this is my take on this, but I think it's worth thinking about. I, I think it's a product of the fact that, that in America, especially with boomers like my age and older, and you know the generation that I'm part of and before that, my, certainly my father and my mother, and inside of evangelical Christianity in America, that that there's been a we've been duped, we've been brainwashed, we've been brainwashed from a very young age with a lie. Uh, I know my own experience. I remember. I remember it well. Adams School, DB's Adams School. Uh, I went to a school called Adams, and I remember well. Every morning there was prayer. And I would then put my hand over my heart and I would pledge allegiance. A syncretism of two things that started in a very young age for me. Uh, God and country were put together in my mind. And I think this is very real. It's very real in, in, in not so much our children, that's been lost somewhat, but in me. And I think probably down to some of you millennials' age, that was still kind of what we thought. How we've been duped. How we've been brainwashed. Uh, our biggest, I would argue, our biggest idol in America is entertainment. And one of the biggest idols of our entertainment idol is sporting events. Every sporting event that I ever went to, and I went to more than most, my dad being a coach, we stood and we did what? We sang the national anthem. There used to be prayer at the Friday night football games at Lincoln. If you remember that, Mom, but at Lincoln there was prayer. That's long gone, but it was syncretized. We sang the national anthem. 
I was raised, my father was certainly raised, and I was raised that there were enemies of America. And these enemies were Germans or... These are pejorative terms, and I don't think this way, but this is what they were known as, Japs. And then it was the Russians. And then it was Middle Easterners. All these enemies that were evil. And America was good. We've been duped. The, the concept that America was ever a Christian nation, I think is extremely refutable and arguable. Because I, I would argue there's no such thing as a Christian nation as we understand a nation, a landmass. The but they, we've been duped. <laughs> we've been brainwashed. Again, I, I grew up and America was good and our enemies were evil and we were on the side of good and of freedom and democracy. Democracy was our idol. And we were going to take that freedom and democracy all over the globe. Mm, many. These, are, these things aren't even like arguable, really. Even the, the man who wrote the book in this discussion he's having with Doug Wilson would acknowledge that while most of our founders were biblical, they weren't necessarily Christian. Many were deists. So they weren't Christian. So Christian men did not form a Christian nation. Deists are those that believe God created the world and kind of spun the globe and then sits back. I, I wrote down some of the some of the quotes from directly from that interview because it's, I find them easy to understand where they missed the mark. Um, uh, Wolf, the man who wrote this book, he, he admits, what's obvious, most of our founders were not orthodox. They weren't orthodox. They, weren't, they didn't have the same uh, doctrinal beliefs that we have. So, so it doesn't then follow that those men created a Christian nation when they weren't even Orthodox. It doesn't, doesn't follow. Um, defining nation, Wolf says this is the trickiest part. Can't define it with precision. But they go on to talk about how, um, like the nation of Japan. They use that as an example of nation because J- J- the Japanese are, are more long-term uh, similarly melanined with a cultural similarities in Japan. They, they would call that a nation. And, and so by that, I would then logically conclude that this is a Native American or Indian nation. That was, that was who was here when we came. Nobody came to Japan yet to overthrow it. We came and all of a sudden we want to take an argument for Christian nationalism and say that this is a Christian. No, it, it was actually a whatever the religions of the American Indians were prior to that. A a commitment to this place they live. So, we Christians, we aren't committed to a place where we live. We are committed to a place where we don't yet live. We're not committed to a place we live. Christians, we are committed to a place we don't yet live. The kingdom of God. Wolf says, we are a people who would die for this piece of land. Not me. Not me. Why would I die for a piece of land? Wilson talks about Apostle Paul was a citizen of Tarsus in Rome of the tribe of Benjamin, layered allegiances. He goes on to say, if Rome were attacked, Roman citizens would rally. If the city was attacked, they'd rally. Not Paul. Not Peter. You see no rallying for their nation. Pastor Wilson says, this is what we should be loyal to. This landmass, this America. There's no New Testament reality in that type of a statement. 
not, not one. There's a lot of stretching of Old Testament concepts of a nation Israel that was a nation. There was a God-chosen people, Israel. That is true, and that is filled in the Old Testament. That's not who we are. There's no New Testament reality in being loyal to a country. None. Wolf talks about weave. As a, as a Christian, I think a Christian people, let moral absurdity reign over our country. And his answer to that is Christian nationalism. And my answer to that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's my answer to that. Take back the nation to what it once was. What was that? Stealing land from the American Indians? I'm being serious because this doesn't get talked about. We, we have been so duped that we actually think we're noble and right as Americans. Whatever that, whatever that is. Then my forefathers with melanin, melaninous skin that came from Scotland and Ireland and England and Germany that were, came over here and were part of this taking of the land from another people group and calling it our own and saying we have some kind of a godly nation. I think it's absurd. Taking dominion over other human beings is the nation I'm supposed to die for? I think it's absurd. I'm not arguing that our lives as Christians won't affect the culture. It surely will. It surely will. And the way to affect a culture is more gospel, more salvation, more affecting the world around you, not taking dominion over the world around you and making up something called Christian nationalism, which isn't biblical in any stretch. But it's a tasty morsel because we've been duped. We've been duped. Proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. Free to what? We've been duped. And and, and what do you know? We maybe haven't been as duped as others, but, but we live amongst a people who have been duped. They've been lied to and they believe it. And the answer is what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. First Peter two nine, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Who? America? No, Christians. Christians all over the globe for all times, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. We're to proclaim, Christians, the excellencies of Christ, not the excellencies of America. Because it's not even excellent. We've been duped. It's never been excellent, I would argue, we've been duped. We stood, we've said Pledge of Allegiance to inanimate objects, which is straight up idolatry, with our hand over our hearts as if to make us believe it. And we do. And we have. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Philippians three seventeen, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you now and tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame. With minds set on earthly things. I am not telling you I don't believe Stephen Wolf or, or Douglas Wilson are Christians. That's, don't, don't walk out of here with that. But do walk out of here with earthly things is Christian nationalism. It's as earthly as it comes. It is as focused on this as it can be. You can try to dress it up and say it's about eternity. Nothing that comes out of their mouths is about eternity. It's about here. Beware. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from, we, from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We have the solution to the problem. And it's not a better America. 
It's not a new nation with proper morals and morality. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ to individual souls, to one salvation at a time, to a culture that changes around you. (laughs) Uh, Walk in my home. Walk in my home 25 years ago and walk in my home today. And you tell me the culture hasn't changed. And then walk into my brother's home, my other brother's home. Walk into Nick Rowland's home. You tell me the culture hasn't changed. The gospel of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. Don't, don't, be, don't eat the tasty morsel. Did God really say? He says a lot. And if you're going to write a book that tries to get me to do something, please use his word to have me to do it. Okay, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 16. And I'm hopeful that you're opening your Bibles. I realize that we print out the scripture references on a piece of paper. Um, and that's because I don't think you can flip around as fast as we might go uh, with all the different references that we use. But I do think it's really important to open your Bibles. And I think notes in your Bible can be really useful. Okay, today's sermon, listen, learn, and live. Please stand and I will read Luke eight sixteen through 21. Asante. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside, desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. You may be seated. Today's text is going to have us consider how we listen to God's word, how we learn from it, and how we live because of it. Jesus, as we know, is traveling around Galilee with the 12 apostles and some women. He's preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. He's gotten a large following, lots of people following him. So while, his, while his, the crowds are growing, also is the hatred of the religious elite that will eventually kill him or have him killed. So he's growing in popularity and he's growing in hatred. He's, he's, he's recently, we saw last week, he's teaching in parables, which is how he'll teach to large, large groups for the remainder of his ministry. He teaches in parable, parables. Uh, verse 4. <clears throat> and when a great crowd was gathered, the people from the town after town came to him. He said in a parable, so then he told a parable. Remember, a parable is a, a a truth from the natural that is used to set alongside and explain a truth that is spiritual. Something that people understood to, to be a picture of something that they didn't understand. So then he told the parable of the soils. And then down verse 9, he and when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, And hearing they may not understand. So he explains to them why he's teaching in parables. It's so that they, these disciples who he had then explained these things to, would understand. And how the masses, or most people, would not understand. And it it was judgment upon them, which kind of gets people to think, Jesus taught in parables to hide the truth. I don't think that's true. He, he spoke in parables that the ones that he came to die for would understand the truth. And the ones that didn't understand it, it was judgment against them for their rejection. So he, he explains this parable. Now, so most of his audiences would not understand his teaching, his parables. They would be judgment. But it had been given to the twelve and some of the women and some more as we go along to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. 
So it was to not to hide the truth. It was to expose the truth. So he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So he didn't teach in parables just to condemn. He taught in parables for those who would understand. So in the explanation of the parable, he went on to tell of the four types of soil. The hard-hearted or the impenetrable soil, the rocky or shallow soil that didn't have much root and when persecution came it would burn out, the thorny soil, which was the carnal hearts, which the things of the world choked out what had grown up and it would die. Things like worries and pleasures and riches. And then there's good soil or regenerate hearts. And then he goes again with no pause in his conversation with the disciples. He goes directly to this. The word of God is a light that is be illuminated by his lamps. That's a little bit cumbersome, but it made sense to me, so hopefully it will to you. Verse 16, no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. It's an obvious parable. It's an obvious natural truth to explain a spiritual truth. Nobody is going to light a lamp and then put it under a jar. Children, what's going to happen when a a light, a lantern, is put under a jar? What's going to happen to it? It's going to snuff out. It's going to go out. There's no oxygen. Putting it under a bed. Beds for them weren't raised up like with, with bed frames. They were a mat that went on the floor. So if you shoved a lantern under a bed, again, it would be snuffed out. There's no oxygen. It would snuff out. So no, you obviously don't light a lamp and then put it somewhere where it's going to go out. You'd light a lamp so that it would illuminate whatever area you were lighting it. It's, it's obvious. It's an obvious truth. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. So now he's drawing that into the reality of spiritual reality from this picture of nothing, nothing will be hidden that won't be made manifest and no secret that won't become made known in the light. So this light that he's talking about, this light, which is the word of God, as we'll see, that is going to illuminate things around it to expose things that are hidden. And the word here for Lamp is luknos, and you see sometimes candlestick. There weren't even candlesticks in that time. There was lamps, and the lamps were oil bases. They were like an oil base with a either a hole in a, a wick that would come out of the oil, and they would light the, the wick, and the wick would burn from the oil. So the lamp, luknos, a light made by burning a wick saturated with oil contained in a relatively small vessel. So the lamp didn't produce the light. Okay, the lamp had to be lit. So a person, the owner would light the lamp and then the lamp would illuminate. Okay, the lamp would illuminate the fire that was put on it. It wasn't the source of fire. The source of fire was elsewhere. So you understand the same thing in the kingdom of God. There's these lamps that get lit and they don't light themselves, but the lamps get lit with this fire and then they illuminate. Those lamps illuminate, and that's God's people. God's people are lit, if you will. We are put on fire, and then we burn. And when we burn, it illuminates the things around us. And what we are, what we are using to illuminate is the Word of God. The Word of God is like a lamp. You don't... So, in other words, the, the Word of God is... Jeff is lit on fire. It would make no sense to then put a, a jar over that or put him under a bed because it would snuff out that flame and it would be useless. It wouldn't serve any purpose. Psalm eighteen twenty eight. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. God lights our lamp. Brings light into our darkness, then we are to shine forth that same truth that lit us up. Jesus would whisper 
to the twelve. We see it right here to the twelve and some women. He would tell a parable, then he would turn and whisper, if you will, or silently explain that to them. Give them this truth. Now, they're to go out and shine that light, not put it under a jar, not put it under a bed. Go out and illuminate the world with these truths you've been given. So, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be be known and come to light. How are these truths going to be known? These twelve were going to go out and tell these truths. And would most people hear or would most people not hear? Most would not have ears to hear. And yet they were to go out and spread these truths, not being afraid of most of these people who would not hear, He says to him in Matthew 10, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my father in heaven. Jesus explaining to the twelve in a parable about how, while, while truth would be rejected by most, they were still to shine light that was in them. They were still to burn as lamps that had been lit with truth. Us too. Even though many, most, do not have ears to hear. It's not our job to determine who that is or isn't. It is our job to proclaim the truths that we've been lit with, that we know. It is our job to proclaim those truths knowing that God will save some. So, so we ought, I, say, I, I always say, you know, who do we believe can be saved? Anyone. From my perspective, anyone can be saved. So, so my, the light that God has put in me or lit me with, my lamp should shine forth everywhere I go. The truths that I've been given... Assuming everyone who hears it, I assume every one of you will be saved. Can be saved. My assumption isn't you won't be. It used to be that. I used to have that backwards in my own personal mind and life. My assumption was people are listening, they're not going to. Because the truth is many, many are on the road to destruction and few are on the narrow path. But because I don't know who, my job is to just have the light go forth. The truths that I've been given, your job is to have the truths you've been given to go forth and believe God that they will save some. They will sanctify. Ephesians 5. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were in darkness. I remember when I first became a Christian, ah, three, two, three years into my Christianity, maybe a little sooner, this, this verse became really real in my life. Like it, 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 it lit me up. Because I was in darkness. You one time we're in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So I've been lit. I've had fire put on my wick. Walk as children of light. So now, my job, and, and yes, I'm to live out of the truths that I know. But that's not all I'm supposed to do. But I'm certainly to do that. And I'm going to speak out of the truths that I know. And those that light will go forth in whatever environment I in, and I ought not put that under a jar or under a bed and snuff it out. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. The fruit of light is found in what is good, right, and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works 
of darkness, but instead expose them. Expose them with what? My indignation? My judgmentalism? No, expose them with the light of the truth. For it is even shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. The guys I used to hang with and the things I used to do were shameful. Shouldn't even speak of those, certainly not partake in them. But as I was in those environments to let the truths that I knew and the truths that let them out of my mouth and out of my body and my actions. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And as we shine this light, some will arise from the dead, and the light of Christ will be shown on them. That's, but what's going to do that is, the light that exposes the darkness that has them to see their need for Christ, and the light of Christ may be shown on them. That doesn't happen if we join in the darkness. We act as lamps to the world around us. Also, to ourselves and to one another. 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people from his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. We are lit up. We've had the fire of Christ burning our wick. We are lamps. We are lamps of the light of the word of God. And and we should, as we burn, it the, the truths that we know and that we're given, it will affect those around us. It will affect us. First Peter, or Second Peter one nineteen, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. We have the entire revelation of God, to which you will do well to pay attention to, as to a lamp shining in a dark place. You will do well, Peter says, to you Christians will do well to have this lamp shine in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. We would do well to pay attention to the word of God and have it to shine on every corner of our lives. Shine the light on every corner of my life until the pride and lust and lies are in the open. Then read the word and put to test the things you've heard until your heart, your soul are stirred and broken. Shine the light on every corner of our lives. And so as we receive the truth and continue to receive truth, we shine that light on our own lives. And we are sanctified by the light. We don't want to snuff that out. You don't want to put it under a bed or under a jar. Because you won't grow. And he's going to talk about something here in just a minute. As a matter of fact, you're going to lose what you had or thought you had. Psalm 119, 105. Your, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This is true. The word is a lamp that gives us light, Christians. And then where are the lamps that take this word forward into our own lives and into the lives of our homes and our churches and our families and the world around us? But if we aren't burning with the truths of God's word, what, what do we take forward? We're going to go out to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all ends of the earth. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar, puts it under a bed. but puts it. Obviously, you wouldn't light a lamp in your house and put it where it's going to be snuffed out. It would not serve its purpose. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. The word of God is the fire that ignites us lamps and that must not be snuffed out. And now he gives a warning to the twelve and the women. 
Take care then. How you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Beware then how you listen. He's talking to the twelve and some women, to his disciples. Beware, blepo. To be aware of, to watch out for, to pay attention to. Jesus warns his disciples, the twelve and some women, to pay attention to how they listen to him, the word of God. Because if you're not listening to the word of God, if you're not hearing truth, you're snuffing out this this flame. It's similar to the parable of the soils. It's another way of explaining what it looks like to be in the kingdom of God. It looks like you're a lamp. And pay attention to how you hear. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. Take heed, beware. For one who has, more will be given. One who has truth, true truth, truth and word of God, is burning with that in his own life and around him, more truth is going to be given. And from one who has not, who actually isn't receiving the word of God, who actually isn't believing the word of God, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Your light will be snuffed out because it's not even a true light. So, it's all about how you hear. The parable Jesus had just told them, listen, uh, verse 11, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The, one, the ones along the path, the hard soil, are those who have heard, then the devil comes and take away. And the ones on the rock, the rocky soil, the shallow soil, when they hear the word, receive with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for the ones that fell among the thorns, those are those who hear. But as they grow on their way, they are choked out by the cares, riches, and pleasures of life. The fruit does not mature. As for that, the good soil are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in honest and good heart and bear fruits with patience. It's all in how they hear. Beware how you listen. Do not snuff out the light that lit your lamp. Another parable. God's word is like a mirror. And when you look into the word of God and you see your own reflection and you cannot stand what you see, you break that mirror. Or it's like a window. When you look into the Word of God, you see through it and you see God's grace and mercy. You see Jesus. If you don't hear well, you're going to break that mirror because you don't like what it's telling you. If you do hear well, you're going to see Christ in that glass. The story of a Chinese man who had a microscope delivered to him from England. And he looked, he took the microscope and looked at the rice that he eats. And in the microscope, he saw all kinds of bugs. And it was nasty to look at. So he broke the microscope. Because the rice was the staple of his diet. He didn't want to know what he was eating, so he simply broke the microscope. We hear... How do we respond to what we hear? Take care then how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. And for the one who is not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. In Spurgeon's commentary on this passage, he says this, You think, and think very properly, that we ought to take heed to how we preach. Yes, that is true. So, should I take heed to how I preach? Absolutely. You believe that, yes? 
That's what Spurgeon is saying. But you must take heed to how you hear. There are a great many criticisms upon preaching. (laughs) I can attest. Will you kindly make a few criticisms upon your own hearing? This is Spurgeon. This isn't me, but I can't say I can't say it better. I tried and I couldn't do it, so I just said I'd read it. I like what the woman said to me some time ago about a certain preacher. She said, "I heard him well last Sunday." I that is the thing. She did not tell me how he preached. She told me how she heard, and that is the main point. Good hearers will make good preachers in due time. I do not doubt. God grant that we will be good hearers. Take heed, therefore, to how you hear. Preaching will enrich you or impoverish you according to how you hear. This is what he just said. Preaching will enrich you or impoverish you depending on how you hear. There are some hearers who have nothing, and the preacher gives them nothing. Hens like to lay eggs where there is a nest egg. And preachers of the gospel like to preach to hearers who have received some truth and want more. I can amen that. I want to preach to people that have gotten some and want more. Not those who have gotten nothing and don't expect anything. Preachers like uh, to preach hearers who have some, receive some truth and want more. Where there is some love to God and love to souls, there more will come. He's explaining this passage. Where there is some love to God and some love to souls, there more will come. May all of you be among those who have, to whom more shall be given. But the gospel is also a savior of death unto death. A savior. To some who hear it, it takes away from some men what they never had. You call that a paradox. So it is, but it is true. They think they have it, but the gospel reveals to them their mistake. And so it taketh from them that which they seem to have had. Beware then how you listen. This is exactly what Jesus is telling these twelve. We must hear with faith believing that this is the word of God and it's true, every word of it. We must hear with reverence. This is God speaking. We must hear with prayer, praying for God's blessing upon a sermon, before and after. In our own lives. How are you listening to God's word when it's preached? Listening to be entertained? I don't think we struggle with that much around here. But the evangelical world we live in, a lot of people listen to preaching to be entertained. And by the way, we sometimes go find our favorite preacher to go on the internet to hear a sermon so we can be entertained. Be careful. The aforementioned pastor in my pre-sermon is very entertaining to listen to for me. Do you listen to find fault? Or, or do we listen to gain wisdom and to be changed? Do we listen to be informed in order that we can be transformed? Actually, actually today you're actually listening for how you can be informed that you may be different. And how you might even be different in this moment is, how do I listen when I hear the word of God preached? And how many times have I... Me, okay, I'm not... I sit there sometimes too. How many times have I wanted to find fault with the preacher and had no issue with how I listened? How many times have you wanted to find fault with the preacher and had no issue with how you were listening? Finding one line out of an hour sermon that you didn't like. And you can't wait to run up here and tell me about it. It's a challenge. It's real. You want more? Then have. And you'll be given more.
No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar, puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so those who enter may see the light. Clearly, it would be silly to light a lamp and then cover it up to snuff it out. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even when he thinks he he thinks that he has will be taken away. And then we go here into this passage that doesn't seem to fit here. This Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. He was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside as I can see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So Luke has right here this passage. And a quick sidetrack that we're not going to spend much time on. Yes, Jesus had biological brothers. No, there's no perpetual virginity of Mary as they would teach you in Rome. The words mean what they mean. It doesn't mean cousin. It means brother. And this is mother and his brothers. It's actually come. Okay, and I'm not going to spend most of this time. We're going to touch on the fact that, well, let's just go. This, 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 again, for me, like, it kind of seems out of place. This seems about who Jesus' family is, the kingdom of God. So Jesus' family is those who hear and do. Verse 21, but he answered, my mother and my brother are those who hear the word of God and do it. On the, on, he's just warned them, be careful how they hear. He's just shown them about the light and the, and the snuffing it out and receiving it or losing it. And now he's talking about, again, he's teaching on the kingdom of God. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mothers and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. This flies right in the face of what, at least in my 21st century life, I would think would be right. If my mom and my brothers show up, I'm going to show them preferential treatment. I'm going to prioritize them. Special privilege to my biological family. But no, we see Jesus is clearly teaching a prioritization of spiritual relationships over natural relationships. That's what he's clearly saying. Now, Mark's gospel gives a little more background. Then he, Jesus, went home and the crowd gathered again so they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying he is out of his mind. Remember, his brothers don't believe. They're coming to seize him because they think he's crazy. And Jesus Jesus plainly says, I don't consider these people to be my family. In the sense you're asking me to see them because of my family. Matthew 12, 30, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever is not gathered with me scatters. The reality of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is, It consists not of any biology or familial relationships. We saw in Luke earlier, 2, 48, when when Jesus had gone to Jerusalem for the Passover with his parents and he was still left behind. They came back to get him. And he basically says, did you not know I had to be in my father's house? He's making this differentiation between the kingdom of God and his earthly life. When the, when the woman raised her voice and said, Blessed be the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you, he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. It's the very same thing he does here. It's not about biology. But he answered, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Those who hear the word of God and do it. Those who listen Learn and live accordingly. That's who's in the kingdom of heaven. Earlier in Luke 6, we looked at, 40, we already seen this, but Luke six forty six. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? It's a rhetorical question. That makes no sense. For you to call me kurios, kurios. You to call me Lord, Lord. Master, Master. And then don't do what I say. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words 
Beware how you listen. Here's my word and does them. I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been built well. But the one who hears, take heed then how you hear. Who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of the house was great. Listen, learn, and live out of what you've heard. This is what God's children do. This is what it is to be in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Take heed how you hear. John fourteen twenty one. whoever has my commandments and keep them it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The Holy Spirit will indwell him. This is how Christians live. Those who love Jesus who are in the kingdom of heaven, listen, learn, and live out his commands. First John 2, how does a child of God live? He's teaching about the kingdom of God, isn't he? And he's giving these parables, then he's challenging them to, rem- to, to, to take heed how they listen, how they hear. He's talking about the light that shouldn't be snuffed out. It's, it would be me. It would be worthless. It would make no sense. He says, his mom and his brothers come and they want his attention. He says, those aren't these. He points. These are my brothers and my mother and my sisters. These that hear the word and do it. And now, little children, First John two twenty eight. abide in him. Abide in him. Listen. Learn. Live. So when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from, shrink from him in shame at his coming. Don't live like you'd be afraid if he returns. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, and we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. We don't know what it will be like, but we know that He is His children, and we know we we will be like Him because we're going to see Him as He is, because we are children of His. We are in His family. We're in the kingdom of God. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. And because this is who we are, we purify ourselves. The light of God burns in us and outside of us. The truths we learn are implemented into our lives. We hear and we do. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away our sins. Down in verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. God's family, the kingdom of heaven, People in the kingdom of God and the kingdom don't go on sinning. Now we, we know we sin. And and if we sin, do we look in the mirror and we crush the mirror? Or do we look through the glass and see God's mercy and grace? Do we see Jesus? How do we hear? How do we listen? We all know James. But 
but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks immediately at his, intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Take heed how you hear. Beware how you listen. No one, after landing a lamp, covers it with a jar, puts it under a bed, but puts a stand, puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. We are lamps that have been lit with the fire of the gospel and the truth of God's word. We are then going to go out and that lamp is going to burn and, and, and send forth to ourselves and to those around us the truths of God's word. Take care then how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mothers and brothers came to him. They could not reach him because of the crowd. And he told them, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word. The kingdom of God is not about biology. The kingdom of God is not about earthly relationships. The kingdom of God is about those who hear the word of God and do it. Starting with, repent and believe on Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins. It's all about how we listen, learn, and live. That's what, that's what proves, if you will, that we are in Christ, that we are in the kingdom of God. If we, if we snuff out the light of God, we will lose what we thought we had. As Christians, closing thought, we're to be lamps shining forth the light of God's word. This light will expose the condition of the hearts of men, including our own. We must be aware of how we listen ourselves, lest we lose what we think we know and find ourselves still in darkness. The true family of God are those who hear Christ and do what he says. We listen, learn, and live based on the light of God's word. How are you listening, learning, and living? Christian, has the light of God's word told you to forgive? Then forgive. Has God's word told you to confess sin? Then do it. Has God's word told you to speak the truth? then do it. Has God's word told you to evangelize? Then evangelize. Has God's word told you to stop some activity in your life? Then stop it. Bob Newhart had that right. Just stop it. Does God's word convince you that something should start in your life that's not currently happening? Then start it. If you are seeing thus far that shows yourself that you're bad soil, then repent and believe without delay. Now, today is the day of salvation. All of us need to take heed to how we hear. Beware of how we listen. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Here's what he says. He says, when you sin, we have an advocate. Look to Jesus. He says, don't sin. If there's something that I could, that could well, that's, that's overstated. There's a characterization of the ministry I've had of a pastor for the last fifth, almost 15, 14 years is sitting with people who continue to make excuses for their sin, who won't do what the word of God clearly says, and then they're gone. And then they're gone. 
because the light of God's word will have nothing be hidden. And ultimately at judgment, we know that to be true. But even now, you start putting the light of God's word on your own life. Watch, watch the cockroaches fly. Put the word of God on people's lives and watch. They'll either, God's people will imperfectly, but they will hear, they will listen, they will learn, and they will live out of those truths. That's what we will do, brothers and sisters. And if you're unwilling to listen and to learn and to live, then the light you think you have may be snuffed out. And you're useless and you're worthless. And it will all be exposed at judgment. Repent. Believe on Christ. Listen, learn, and live. Father, we thank you again for the clarity of your word. I am so humbled and thankful and blessed to open your word each week and see how clear you make things in my own heart, how you expose in my heart things that are different than you would have for me, Father. Give me the strength, the courage to be different. Chasing me where I'm not. Father, I pray you would do the same for all of the brethren here. Father, help these words convict those who may profess a Christ they don't believe in, listen to, and obey. All for your glory and Christ's sake. Amen. Let's stand and sing hymn 378, Soldiers of Christ Arise. 378, Soldiers of Christ Arise. 378.